0: just keep finding ways to win and staying alive are those Cincinnati Bengals. I'm Anthony Cazenza. He is John Sheeran. This is the Orange and or Black Insider. Man, uh, for all of us being in mock draft mode, John, in just, just a few short weeks ago, man, alive, it is uh, really turned on a dime. Bengals, winners of three straight, including a crazy one last Saturday.
1: I mean, is the is the Ted Lasso sign up in the locker room yet? Is there an Orange <laughs> Believe sign yet? I mean, I, I, for those who don't know, the first, the only time that me and Anthony have met in person was Week One of Twenty Twenty One. The Bengals <laughs> hosted That's right, the Minnesota yeah. Vikings. That game yeah. went to overtime and was ended by Nevin McPherson uh, field goal at the buzzer. The final score was twenty seven to twenty four. There was a Vikings turnover in that game that did count. There was a Vikings turnover in this game that didn't count. But there was no crazy T. Higgins reminiscing A.J. Green jump ball, extendo arm Mm -hmm. over the goal line. So very similar games in how they turned out. But this game was very unique in so many different ways.
0: Very unique in so many different ways for sure. And had some of the wildest plays. I mean, it was T. Higgins' emotional roller coaster of a day. Um, you know, started off with two, you know kind of bad drops down the field and ended up making play after play late in the in the game after just kind of a, an up and down year for him in general. Um, so that was good to see him kind of rebound and make that huge play. And then, of course, have you ever seen the BJ Hill interception type of play before? I, I don't think no. I've ever seen something like that. <laughs> a, guy, a guy's falling. He lands on him before he lands on the turf, somehow just throws it and it goes bounces around about four different times into BJ Hills uh, awaiting arms, but that has to be, you know, I was actually uh, talking to my, my brother about that game. I had watched a little bit uh, of it with him and he kind of reminded me, he was like, man, that was up there with that 2015 Seahawks game and how the ebbs and flows in that game and how the Bengals came back and all the wackiness and all the crazy plays that I, I, I think that's pretty astute. I mean, it's up there with that game in terms of furious comebacks and crazy results.
1: It's funny that you you guys mentioned that because that was the last time that the Bengals had overcame a seven point deficit with under four minutes to go. This was the first time in the Zach Taylor era, obviously, because the last time was twenty fifteen. So they were previously like zero and fifty three in these exact situations (laughs) over the past eight years, according to Pro Football Network's Jay Morrison. But obviously, it was more than just a seven-point deficit. It was a 14-point deficit at the start of the fourth quarter. By then, the Bengals had driven down into Vikings territory. The first of two T. Higgins touchdowns followed. But going back to B.J. Hill, because this was a week after he intercepted uh, Gardner Minshew, when I believe he was also on the ground, I don't know if there's... I think this is his third career interception, right, because there was one against the, the Chiefs in the playoffs where he, like, intercepted the screen. I don't know if there's a more impressive interception catalog for any defensive <laughs> player ever with, like, at least three. So I, I think officially has two because we don't count playoff stats for whatever reason. But, I mean, he's, he's a DB at this point in my, in my mind.
0: Uh, yeah, he's playing like it, and, uh, man... The Bengals need to continue to have him. We'll talk about that in just a little bit, but they need to have him play well down the stretch here because they are battered at a lot of different positions right now. Um, a lot – I mean, this game was ridiculous from an injury standpoint too. And we'll talk about injuries as it looks going forward, but what I'm the, the element of the injuries that I want to talk about here is the Bengals overcoming those in this game. I mean, it was Alex Kappa that had left the game. D.J. Reeder had a severe injury. Jamar Chase left the game. Um, You had Ted Karras holding his arm right before halftime. And, I mean, it just kept coming, right? I mean, it was just all these injuries, and you're like, man, when is this going to stop? And so uh, that was one of the things that I felt was one of the most impressive elements of this game was the fact that the Bengals were able to overcome all that stuff and still pull out just a crazy win.
1: Yeah, I mean, it just started immediately, right? Like, I think... There was a little bit of like a of a downturn in momentum, if you want to call it, after the Bengals couldn't get a touchdown that first drive. But you're thinking, OK, they're up three. You know, was a fine start to the game. Uh Oh, DJ Reader goes down the second snap. We all know about the situation of defensive tackle. BJ Hill has been fine this year, but the problem has been he's been on the field too much because the rotation behind him and the depth behind him has just not been up to snuff. Zach Carter, Josh Tupo have been out there, but they just haven't really been making an impact. And whenever they have been on the field, that's typically when the Bengals' run defense has been at its worst. So DJ Reader goes down the second snap of the game. The Vikings, I think, run like seven plays, seven run plays for over 30 yards, and Ty Chandler finds the end zone. Chandler had over like 130 yards in this game, but there were times mm-hmm. when, you know, the Vikings were trying to run down the Bengals' throats, and they, to no avail. Obviously, there was two huge plays at the end of the game where it wasn't Chandler who had the ball. It was, you know, Nick Mullins trying to sneak it in. But I was, I was definitely impressed with... You know, Zach Carter and Josh Chubo didn't play out of their minds necessarily, but I think they played definitely well enough in Reader's absence. But that, that's going to be such a huge void that I don't think the Bengals could possibly fill. Like, they tried to fill it with a waiver claim earlier this week. This week, they did make a waiver claim, I believe, today to try to do it, but... You can't replace D.J. Reader, right? Just like you arguably can't replace Ted Karras, and he went down, or he he was you know walking out of the field injured at the end of the at the end of the first half. Alex Kappa was dealing with something. Uh, obviously, you know the Bengals' best remaining offensive player, Jamar Chase, ended up with an injury too. It was just it was an avalanche, and it's it's just one of those games where I, I think it was you know this time last year when the Bengals' offensive line was. Com- com- Completely healthy throughout the entire year and then the injuries just started piling in sometimes it just happens like that but of course you know what's what's adversity to this Bengals team they just continue to find ways to overcome it
0: they do find ways to overcome it that is for sure um, let's let's talk a little bit because we've we did a post-game show so we talked a lot about the stats and everything with the Vikings win but definitely wanted to at least touch on it again because I'm we're here a handful of days later and it's still like man this is this is one of those just wackiest wins I think we've seen in quite some time. Um, let's, let's bring up the playoff picture because this is, uh, and I, I showed this on the postgame show a few days ago, but obviously things have changed with a weekend's worth of games um, since. The Bengals kind of got help, but really didn't get a lot of help uh, this, this weekend. Uh, I'm looking at you, Cowboys. You didn't really do anything to help the Bengals out. <laughs> Uh so clinched here. Um, you know, there's only one that have has definitely clinched in the AFC, and that is the Baltimore Ravens with their win on Sunday night. And you've got the Niners, Cowboys, and Eagles have all clinched in their uh conference on the NFC side. Uh the Lions are in hunt for the, the three seed, the Buccaneers, four seed man atop their division at a cr- just a super respectable seven and seven. Those Tampa Bay Buccaneers, um, Vikings, the sixth seed falling to seven and seven after the loss to the Bengals. Rams, the seventh seed. So in the hunt here, uh, you got the Dolphins aiming for the two seed, the Chiefs, and this is courtesy of NFL.com by the way. This these graphics. Chiefs um, at the three seed. They've been all over the place. They're nine and five. They're winning games, but it's looking uh, to be kind of tenuous there a little bit. Jacksonville 8-6, and six. Cleveland at the 5-seed at 9-5. Uh, and five. Thanks a lot, Chicago Bears. Hold a, held a 10-point lead in the fourth quarter and let that go um, off of a couple of wild plays. The Bengals currently have the 6-seed. You can see here this graphic shows they moved up four spots with their win, and then the Colts in the seventh seed So there's all kinds of weird things here, John, because there are teams at the Bengals like this that there are scenarios the Colts could get in over the Bengals, even though the Bengals beat them head to head. Uh, obviously, right now you've got three of the AFC North teams in, but the Steelers losing, they're still they fell four spots, losing to the Colts in Indianapolis this weekend. That game was right after the Bengals on Saturday. So, I mean, I guess they kind of got help there, but the, the Colts are kind of right there too. So there's a lot to dissect here, and the Bengals have both like a, Kind of a a nice way in, but there's also just when you look at it eight and six, nine and five, eight and six, eight and six. They've got the Steelers at seven and seven, a critical head to head matchup this week. So it's kind of simultaneously easy and difficult for them to get into the postseason right now for the Bengals.
1: Yeah, I mean they have a lot of head-to-head tiebreakers. I mean they have it over the Bills and uh, the Colts. I guess it's only two. Like they, they don't have it over the Texans, but they do have it over the Jaguars, which is why, you know, you had the Browns winning, you had the Colts winning, um, you had uh, uh, the Texans winning as well, miraculously over the Titans, I might add. So you're thinking, okay, a lot of these teams with the same record as the Bengals, they all won. You know, it doesn't really help the Bengals out. Honestly, the the team that helped out the Bengals the most here was the Baltimore Ravens. Like they essentially confirmed that the Bengals won't win the AFC North this year, which was already pretty much known at that point, but by beating the Jaguars, they're the Jags are down to 8 and 6. They're technically still ahead in the AFC South, but I mean, they've lost like three straight all to AFC North teams. They're not looking great at this point. There's a situation where they could become a wild card team. The Colts or the Texans could win that division. The Bengals would probably have an easier chance of getting in over the Jaguars if they have the same record at the end of the season, obviously. with the Steelers only one game back. I think they have like a 3% chance of making the postseason right now. But they do have the one game. Uh, they have beaten the Bengals um, a few weeks ago. They could go 2-0 against them in, in a couple of days. So there's just – there's so there's – So many scenarios right now with with three weeks to go with this just log jam right now. The Bengals are technically in the playoff picture, but even if they do win out, like there's still a couple scenarios where they're left out in the cold altogether, even at 11 and 6. So it it looks like at the bare minimum, they've got to win the next two or two out of the next three. Whatever games that they win, you know, it's kind of it doesn't really matter, I, I guess, at this point, because every team that they're facing is in the hunt or in the playoff picture already. But, yeah, the, the AFC South and how that plays out, that might end up working in the Bengals' favor because they do have tiebreakers over the Colts' Jacks, even if the tiebreakers are not what they look at first. It's almost like a last resort. If everything else is equal, okay, who won head-to-head? That's the team that gets in.
0: Yeah, and the Jags, I think they've lost three straight, right? Um, yeah. So they play ta- they play Tampa Bay next week. The Browns play the Texans. That's a, that's a big matchup there for a lot of different things. Chiefs play the Raiders. Dolphins play the Cowboys. That'll be an interesting game. Um, the Bills play the Chargers, and the Bills have a pretty easy path, I think. If if I remember the remaining three games, they've got a pretty easy path, potentially, to kind of start winning a lot of these games at the end of the year here. But as you mentioned, the Bengals do have a head-to-head uh, advantage over them. They do not over the Texans. They do over the Jaguars, and they do – um, over the Colts who are currently in. So here's kind of the other, I mean you look at the cha- chargers here, I, I mean five and nine, I don't I don't know why you're really listing them at this point, but I guess it's to give <laughs> give some semblance of information there. but uh, yeah, I mean I, I, I'm, I'm with you. I think the Bengals need to definitely win at least two of the next three, get to double digit wins to make sure you have the surest footing possible in there. Again, you look at this, um, and this is kind of something else we can talk about. Uh, I mean, you look at those those teams. Uh, Jaguars were without Trevor Lawrence, you know, for for a little bit. The Browns are on Joe Flacco, who now is stringing together three hundred plus passing yard games. The Bengals and Jake Browning. Browning has been arguably the best of the bunch of the backup quarterbacks who have been playing throughout the league. You've got the Colts on a backup quarterback. CJ Stroud with the Texans uh, had some issues as well. And then the Steelers are moving now to Mason Rudolph. Um, <laughs> and then you you mentioned too that, um, I mean, we, we said it before we took the air here on Monday night, you saw Drew Locke get his shot and and get a last-second win here and so the Bengals now are are in position with Browning to potentially make the playoffs and and there's a number of teams with backup quarterbacks some of which are playing pretty pretty good football right now
1: it's just it's another layer of just a remarkable year in a lot of ways I mean I, I don't think people remember what the dialogue was in August Jake Browning looked not good in the preseason, but he looked slightly better than Trevor Simeon, who I think has at least two games played with the Jets this year with the, their whole entire quarterback catastrophe going on over there. And then the whole conversation was, is Jake Browning, you know, is he good enough to play in the first four weeks? Well, Burrow's clearly not himself, and they didn't turn to him. And then he, you know, st- stunk the bed and in his first start against the Steelers. And now, like you said, there's just uh, – it seems like a quarter of the leagues on its backup quarterback right now. And Browning is arguably the best of all of them. Whether you want to look at the production or look at the tape, the tape is still a little bit spotty compared to the production, but the results are there, right? It's it's indisputable. It's created a whole new narrative Not only about Browning as a player, but as the Bengals, as the coaching staff, as the scheme, as the offense, as the architects behind this offense. It's creating a narrative with Joe Burrow that somehow he's not as valuable as he was only a few weeks ago, right, when he was still healthy and one of the best quarterbacks Mm -hmm. in the NFL. It's it's just been a remarkable rollercoaster, and I cannot believe that we're here talking about the Bengals have arguably one of the best, if not the best backup quarterback in the NFL, at least playing like it right now.
0: He is showing a lot of, a lot of grit. Um, you know, there was a lot of stuff not going well through, a, through portions of that last game. And you kind of felt like, man, this is probably where the magic is starting to run, run out a little bit, you know, ba- good defense from the Vikings and, you know, you kind of felt, we, we talked about it last week, how, you know, big litmus test because of the defense that uh, is, is coming there and they just overcame. They found ways to overcome the injuries. They found ways to overcome that defense. They found ways to overcome the the Vikings potent rushing attack and they, they scraped together a win. Now I see this from Dan, the man in our live chats, 11 and six, we're good. 10 and seven, we need help. Nine and eight, break out the mock drafts, probably accurate, um, but here's the thing, 11 and six, John, that would put the Bengals at six straight with that. Would that, I mean, I, you gotta go one week at a time here, but that is six or would be six straight wins with Jake Browning at the helm. And while you're sitting here going, well, I mean, it's just another three uh, after the three they've just put together. So maybe it's realistic, but now you look at the injuries, you look at, you know, this is, a, these are tough teams that are coming down the pike here, despite what the Steelers have looked like the past couple of weeks. Um, And so six straight wins. We've seen this team do that kind of stuff before. But backup quarterback, maybe not having Jamar Chase for one or most of the games remaining, no more DJ Reader. How confident are you at this point that this team can still rattle off anywhere from, you know, two to three consecutive wins that they need?
1: I think they can get to two. I don't know which games they—they'll probably have to be Pittsburgh and th- this game ahead is looking like the most interesting one considering the injuries, considering what's going on in Pittsburgh. Uh, my guy Rob Grex and as Sports wrote a phenomenal piece detailing just the the turmoil going on right now between George Pickens, Mike Tomlin, maybe an identity Man. crisis going on right now. It's it's just it's wild stuff. But also on the field, they're without both their starting safeties. They don't know who's I mean. We have a pretty good idea it's going to be Mason Rudolph a quarterback, but he hasn't started since 2020 or 2021 when Ben Roethlisberger was hurt. He's been a third-string quarterback for most of his career. It's, it, a lot is going on with Pittsburgh right now, and even without Jamar Chase and DJ Reader, you have to think with the way that Browning is playing, with the way that the offense is kind of picking him up with, with schemes and just everything that's going on, you have to think that the Bengals should win this game. And then you have the Chiefs and the Browns after that. I, I, the Browns still have the best defense in the NFL. Joe Flacco is not playing like a losing quarterback necessarily. Like he's doing enough. The Chiefs, they were losing. At the, I think they lost like two or three straight, but then they found themselves again against the Chiefs or against the Patriots, excuse me. But I mean, it's. I think this defense still knows how to limit Patrick Mahomes better than most other teams. And now he doesn't really have a, rec- a wide receiver aside from a rookie and Rasheed Rice, and you know Kelsey's still there. But it's just not the same machine that it was, and we don't know if it's going to get turned on. For the postseason, so I I think they can steal one of those two games, but they're definitely going to be as tough as it was against Minnesota, as it was against Jacksonville. It's not going to be, you know, the Jake Browning show steamrolling over anyone. It's still, I think, the results are still going to mostly be there, but I, I really question if if it comes down to a situation where, again, if they get down into a hole and they face a team that rushes the ball well. I don't know how this team, this defensive line specifically, can hold up without Reader for extended periods of time. It's going to take again Zach Carter and Josh Tupo, J. Failey now uh, rising up as probably an activated player. It's going to take all of them to play really well and uh, you know continue good performances from Logan Wilson, Jermaine Pratt. Too, it's the biggest question to me because somehow, some way, this offensive coaching staff at least has found ways to get over the fact that without star players, it's still able to to produce. Like without Joe Burrow, they're three and one. Without Jamar Chase last year, they were three and one, and they produced quality offensive outputs. Now, yeah, without both, that's a good point. so I, I don't know. I don't know if, if losing both is just the the straw that broke the extremely heavy straw that broke the camel's back, but we're we're gonna find out.
0: the uh, The other thing that's you know I see you know there's we're trying to collect positives and all that kind of stuff. Here's the thing that stands out to me, as I guess from a viability standpoint of the Bengals going forward and if they do make it into the playoffs what bodes well for them look at the look at the three wins that they have had now granted they uh, two of them have been in overtime one was a blowout win which was nice but two of them have been in, in overtime but these those three teams and the one possession lost to the steelers those four teams are in the playoff picture and or are currently seated to make the playoffs at this point Uh, with the exception of the Steelers on the outside looking in. But the rest of the teams are currently seeded. So my point in bringing that up is, is those are quality opponents. They're not stringing together wins against teams that have three wins and four wins at this point in the season. These are teams that are in the playoff picture and would make the playoffs at this point in time should it start with a couple of games remaining. So, And then on top of that, I mean, Vikings notwithstanding, if the Bengals make it in, some of these teams that they have beaten in this three-game streak, they would probably face uh, one of them in, in the postseason as well, and they've shown the ability to beat these types of teams. So I, I, I guess from a confidence standpoint going forward, that's where I kind of find the the ray of uh, ray of light at the end of the tunnel a little bit here if it seems a little bit tenuous for them to get in is not only have they proven that they can beat playoff-caliber teams to make it, and continue to continue winning regular season games to make it into the playoffs. But then also those same caliber of teams will, will likely be in the uh, playoff bracket. And that bodes well for them going forward too.
1: It's looking like the only team that's going to be in the, if the Bengals do make the playoffs, it's looking like the only team that's going to be there with them that they haven't faced this year are the Miami dolphins. And right now they're dealing with Tyree kill his ankle injury, but they seem to be perfectly fine against a really good jets defense. They shut them out. So you know Tua McDaniel and Jalen Waddle, it's still a unit that needs to be respected. And again, I just look at the defense right now because taking away the turnovers and like the spikes and all the other you know um, things that kind of fluctuate the numbers here, the Bengals have arguably the worst defense in the NFL, and it's predicated on the fact that they allow the most explosive plays, and that you know for the most part they're able to stop teams from actually getting into the end zone miraculously even like it's almost like an expectation at this point but when you face some of these offenses in the postseason that are able to find answers that other teams may not it's like it's a problem and it's a stark contrast I think to the past two years when the Bengals defense has almost always stepped up in the postseason they don't allow high scoring games in January and sometimes even February especially against the best quarterbacks in the league Josh Allen Patrick Mahomes you know like it's just it's been a theme for them and it's been a direct contrast to what we've seen from this year. You know, the, the clutch turnovers, be damned. And I think that's at, at, at this point, it's an, it's an established trend that has to be respected and and, and expected at this point. But I, I wonder if you're going to find yourself in a situation where is the, is the offense going to have to put up 28, 31 points a game in the postseason with Jake Browning? If if that's the case, then it, it just puts more pressure on him, and it just it, it just creates more of just this aura about him like is this really a nick Foles run that we're about to see
0: yeah yeah um you know and and the bagels need to kind of keep uh, somehow they are finding even even like you said the defense is arguably one of the worst in the league right now yet they still come up with the timely turnovers they come up with the timely sacks and they come up with the clutch plays to get them in position to continue to win games so they're doing just enough um, hopefully, you know, Taylor Britt maybe comes back for, for the back-end stretch here. We'll have to see what happens there. Hopefully, Chase comes back for the back-end stretch. It's looking like he is not uh, going, to, going to be playing this week against the Steelers, which is a, a big blow. But, uh, I mean, like we said earlier, man, and, and we'll, this is kind of a nice transition potentially into the, the Steelers chat in just a second. The Bengals, while we have confidence in the quality of opponents they beat, and what that means going forward, they've got a tougher hill to climb because now they are without, arguably, their one of their best defensive players, if not their best defensive player in DJ Reader. Yes, I know Trey Hendrickson exists. Um, but a very good player, a fantastic player in DJ Reader. And then, of course, Chase, who, who just is electrifying. So they now lost a star on both sides of the ball. And Reader's gone for the year, and that's not going to be good for next year either um, because that injury is a long rehab process, and it happened late in the season. So I'm gutted for that guy. But, uh, you know, I, the Bengals have a lot to overcome. And somehow they did it this last week, and they do it again and again and again these next three weeks.
1: I, I, want, I want to talk about the, the DeMar Chase timeline because it's kind of been topsy-turvy. If you want to just go to the to the starting point, he suffered an AC joint sprain, I think, early in the fourth quarter against the Vikings. He was a fit, he was declared out pretty soon after. He had his arm kind of tucked away in, inside of his sweatshirt, you know, to avoid any movement with, with it. So, right after the game, you know, because it happened so late, Zach Taylor didn't have like anything more than like, yeah, we need more information on it. And then the next morning, Ian Rappaport comes out and says there's optimism that chase may not miss any time with his ac joint spring which is you know separated shoulder right so that was the initial report from ian Rappaport. but he said that he would have an mri done on monday afternoon the mri happens and then Rappaport's report the new one said that there the expectation is he's going to miss saturday's game against the pittsburgh steelers and potentially even more time typically you know like the best case scenario for this is like maybe two weeks but if you have you know a lot of luck on your side, or whatever the case may be. Maybe it's not that bad of, of a of a separation. Maybe you could play within that week. So then mm-hmm. Zach Taylor on Tuesday says that Chase is still day to day. We're gonna see. He's not gonna practice Tuesday. He didn't practice Tuesday. He did not practice Wednesday either, which is today when we're when we're recording this. Then there was another report from Bleacher Reports, Jordan Schultz, who said that basically Jamar Chase is gonna be out for the Saturday. And he and just like report also said that he may miss more time as well. So that's where we're trending right now. Bengals have practiced twice this week. The only player to not participate has been Jamar Chase. You're not going to see him out there if he doesn't practice at all. I doubt he's going to practice on Thursday. If you're listening to this on Thursday, then practice has already happened. I don't expect him to practice that day. So you're looking at a situation where Jamar Chase is at least out for this week, and then we're just on to seeing if he's going to practice next week.
0: Ooh. You
1: guys get all that? Yeah,
0: <laughs> that was uh, <laughs> uh that, that's a topsy turvy tale of Jamar Chase and his injuries there. So, um, yeah, and then you know what they've done since John? They did try and get uh, Tier Tart from the who was released from the uh, Titans, uh, a pretty talented uh, defensive lineman that I think some people were surprised that he was going to be out on the open market. I believe it was the Texans who who swooped in and got him off of waivers in front of the Bengals. The Bengals put a claim in, but given the Texans uh place in line so to speak, they got Tart and so the Bengals uh I don't like to say they had to settle, but I, they wanted Tart and they didn't get him, but they did get a defensive lineman Travis Bell off of waivers from the Falcons also spent a little bit of time um at with the uh with the Bears too he was a seventh round pick last year from the Bears um and then was on the, the bear's practice squad and this is on cincyjungle, uh, com, by the way I'll open this this story in here but 61305 uh uh was a I'm sorry drafted this year in the 2023 draft I, I may have said last year but drafted this year spent eight eight games on the bears practice squad then went to Atlanta's active roster and then he was waived from there he only has two solo tackles uh waived by them earlier this week so this is where the Bengals moved to john after losing out on tier tart
1: right and the the claim for tart is interesting beyond the fact that he was arguably the best player at his position available um he's had really one good game this year with the titans and it was against the Bengals. He had like four pressures in that game. He hit Burrow like three times, <laughs> even though if he didn't yeah. get a sack. Yeah. And that's that's pretty common, right? The Bengals typically value guys who play well against him. That was the whole reason why they fell in love with Nick Scott this offseason because he played well in, that super, in, in the Super Bowl. So when... The news about Travis Bell came out. You know, he was he was a former Atlanta Falcon. I figured, oh, he probably played with the Falcons Falcons in the preseason against the Bengals. That wasn't the case. He was drafted by the Bears, like you said. He spent the entire offseason with the Bears. He played in the preseason with the Bears, but then he was cut, was on the practice squad. The Falcons signed him off the practice squad in like, Halloween. He's just played in the past couple of games, and then he got waived. So um, I don't know if this was a case where – I mean, he's a 25-year-old rookie out of a small school – Maybe there was someone in the Bengals scouting department said, hey, I really like this guy coming out of college. He's available. There's an open spot in the rotation for him. You need another body there. Um, Great athlete, though, for his size at 6'1", 300-something pounds, really explosive really fast for his size. But I wouldn't look at him as anything more than like he's probably in that same spot in the depth chart, if you will, as like a J2 Fele. And I would figure that Fele, he's been practicing with his team, you know, for the entire year has been with the team for over a year. I would figure that he gets uh, the call to be active this week over a guy like Bell and they'll probably see what he can do in in that one technique spot.
0: We've got a couple of questions that I want to kind of, you know, we usually do a a standalone listener questions episode, but uh, you know, sometimes we answer these on this show and we've got a little bit of time before we, preview the and talk about the Steelers game. These two kind of tie into each other. Uh, You see here from Pastor Dave Hammond, uh, Lou is great, meaning Ann Rumo. Why has our defense been flat this year? And then we've got another one from Brandon on the Cincy Jungle Facebook page. We have so much talent on the defensive line that it seems absurd that we don't have more sacks as a team. My thoughts on this, uh, I definitely want to get yours too, John. Um, You know, the sacks thing, that was an issue last year. If, if you remember too. Uh really, it's when you look at this team, this run that this team has been on the last three years, really the one year that they excelled at getting after the quarterback was in 21. Uh, and that was because they brought in Trey Hendrickson. They had, um, you know, the, the rotation there. Uh, Larry Ogunjobi and B.J. Hill both provided a lot. I, I think those two guys combined had about a dozen sacks or so that that year. Um, you know, Ogunjobi had like seven or something, and I think B.J. Hill had like five, five and a half, something like that. Uh, and then you know, Reader kind of got in the mix here and there, and then Hubbard had kind of his usual six to eight, if I remember correctly. So I mean, across the line in twenty-one, they were just you know they were they were deeper. They had that rotation with interior defensive line that was really able to get to the passer. Um, there was a lot of new faces, so I mean, I think teams also hadn't had a lot of film necessarily of that group of players playing together at that point. So I I, kind of feel like that's maybe where things have fallen off and then you lose Larry O to the injury and then he goes away in free agency. The Bengals uh, are trying to get things on track with, with Zachary Carter. Miles Murphy seems to be turning a corner pun, I guess, definitely intended there. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's, he's kind of putting up a little bit more numbers these past few weeks, but uh, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't have a good answer for that, I, other than maybe depth, health, and uh, you know, may, maybe there's not as much pass rushing prowess as we li- like to believe there is on that defensive line.
1: That, that's that's the case for sure. Uh, obviously, Trey Hendrickson's fourth in Pro Bowl voting right now for good reason. He's got a career high in sacks at the moment. He's phenomenal one on one situations. The second best pass rusher on this team is is it Miles Murphy? Which is kind of shocking, considering how the season started and what the expectations were for him. And Joseph Asai—that's yeah, another thing, right? I, I, yeah, I mean that's
0: why I pinned this up here. I mean, wait, where, where's he been? Um, I mean, he—that's another, you know, a guy that had a handful of sacks last year. That you—you're not replicating that production there from him. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I mean that's wow. another guy that is in the mix where you go, wow. There, there's been just a a much less of an impact
1: there. Well, I mean, the Murphy pick becomes smarter and smarter, considering the, the the year that Asai has had. He suffered the high ankle sprain right before the season began. It clearly impacted how he played in the first handful of weeks, and he's, he's now like I guess fifth in that rotation of edge rushers, just because Murphy continues to prove himself. But even still, like if Miles Murphy is your second best edge rusher off the edge, like that puts you below a lot of other teams, and B.J. Hill, like quality defensive tackle right but he's not he's not that consistent penetrator at that three technique spot they, they haven't had that guy in a while so it really is for the most part just Hendrickson just being superman for the most part and sometimes you have nice uh you know gains and stunts between Hubbard and Hill and that's schemed up uh production for both of them but largely a lot of their production is based off of you know matchup based right if, if Hubbard's going up against right. you know backup right tackle or same thing with BJ Hill their production looks better but for the most part they're just pretty borderline average guys and then for the rest of the defense I don't think you've seen necessarily the best out of Logan Wilson this year Jermaine Pratt I think you've seen flashes and of greatness from both of them but their consistent week-to-week play I don't think has been up to snuff of what it used to be and then the secondary has undergone obviously so much change you had just the the yeah. Unfortunate play of Nick Scott for the most, for most of the season. Jordan Battle has stabilized that position, but it's almost been, you know, kind of too late in terms of just getting the season long numbers up to date. And then at cornerback, for the, for most of the season, it's been either Cam Taylor Britt or, or DJ or DJ Turner as your number one cornerback. And Turner is as a rookie, like he's been phenomenal. And sometimes, like this past week, like you've seen just the inexperience, right? He's given up big yep. plays. Sometimes yep. his physical limitations get the best of him, and his, those, those short arms. Taylor Britt's been hurt, obviously, so it, it's given Owuzie more time to kind of you know, round out into the player that he's been, but they haven't had that caliber of player in, in Owuzie for most of the season, considering he was coming back from injury. So it's a lot of different factors that has led to, again, giving up the most explosive plays out of any defense in the league right now, combined with the fact that your pass rush is mainly just one guy it just it's a recipe for where they are now
0: yeah they're not they're not as adept at stopping the run either so um as we mentioned they're relying on i called hubbard
1: average not not hendrickson if i if i messed up tommy robinson i apologize
0: yeah yeah um yeah, it's just there there were there's a reliance more on the big plays. Um they they're not kind of the the more plodding defense that gets you gets off the field or just forces a field goal. It's kind of feast or famine a little bit this year and that's just a difference because of roster attrition and, and other elements that we just discussed. But good questions from a couple of you there. And uh, you know, I I don't no reader, you still don't have Taylor Britt back. I don't I don't know that it's going to get much better than what we've seen, unfortunately, to this point. So it's going to probably be more of the same, and the offense is going to need to score a high volume of points in order for the Bengals to keep winning. Uh, this is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Kozenza, and we do this show and have a lot of fun with it. Hopefully you enjoy it as well, whether you catch it on our YouTube channel. That subscribe button, there, there's a show icon underneath the – Cincy Jungle icon on John's side of the screen there. Click that show icon and it'll take you to a subscribe button. Go ahead and pound that. Hit the thumbs up button as well. We we appreciate that. And if you like the audio side of things, you can get our show and the others on the Cincy Jungle Podcast Network, Talking Football with Bengal Jim and Friends, Coach Speak, and Chalk Talk with the Coach, Matt Minnick, and Three and Out with Jason and Kevin, all through your favorite audio platform, whether that's iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google podcasts, iHeartRadio, Amazon music, any of those, we should be there. Go subscribe, leave us a review if you can appreciate it. And uh, we'll keep peppering you with content here on the show. Well, John, you mentioned that the Steelers are a little bit of a mess right now, be it their quarterback position, be it their wide receiver who apparently was afraid to get hurt. And that's why he didn't want to block on a run play at some point last week, uh, and he has had – and that was – can we be honest? Uh, that was Pickens's knock coming into the, the draft. It was the, the, the attitude and the uh, – there's the wild swings of the attitude. There's the ferocity and the, you know, uh, you know very physical play and wow plays and all that kind of stuff, and then there's the maybe not the best team player type of approach and other elements to that. So I don't, I don't know that the Steelers should be completely surprised by that. A little bit in Pickens' corner, though, he has to be a bit frustrated based on the quarterback situation that he has seen since being in Pittsburgh. He probably has the ability to be one of the top wide receivers in the NFL, but quarterback inconsistencies and problems have disallowed that to happen, whether it is Kenny Pickett, now Mason Rudolph, who's set to start for for the Steelers against the Bengals. Um, So the Steelers are a little bit of a mess, but uh, they're still the Steelers, man. They're still Mike Tomlin on that sideline and they aren't out of it until they are out of it. And they are rarely out of it until the very final week of the season, as we know. So a challenging game, nonetheless, for the Bengals coming up, despite the mess that is the Pittsburgh Steelers.
1: Isn't that just, it's the definition of relativity, right? Disastrous season (laughs) for the Steelers is seven and seven after 15 weeks. But I mean, the the highlights of this team are, what, Jalen Warren, Pat Friermuth, obviously T.J. Watt. I think Keanu Ben has been a really good player as a rookie, kind of in the middle of the, of the defensive line. Cam Hayward is still going strong, like 15 mm-hmm. or so years in the league. Alex Highsmith is doing well. Yep. That's about it, right? I mean, the, the offensive line is just nothing really to really speak on. Nasi Harris... Good against maybe suspect run defenses let like the Bengals were a few weeks ago. but past few weeks, the Bengals have averaged I think about three and a half missed tackles per game compared to the first twelve weeks where they averaged like eight and a half. So that's gone down tremendously. It's a brand new, I guess re-energized run defense minus DJ reader though. like that's I, I I continue to go back to that. He's the most impactful nose tackle in the game. I don't think it's even close, considering. As good as he is a run defender, he's even just as good at <laughs> rushing the passer, which seems unbelievable considering how huge he is. But how they rotate in and out at that position against, again, a running back duo that rushed for like 150 yards on them not even a month ago, with a with a third string quarterback in the game. We don't know what the passing game is going to look like. They have to they have to go into this game thinking our wide receiver situation is a mess. Deontay and, and George are just thinking about themselves. Just 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 being honest, right? They just had moments like that where, like, yeah, these guys are frustrated. They're thinking about them. They're not really thinking about the the team. It's 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 not it's not great. So I I it wouldn't surprise if the Steelers just forced the run game in this one, considering that's where the Bengals should be the weakest. Um, and that may. It may result in what, what it was in Week 12, but even still, they scored 16 points in that game. So I don't think you're expecting the Steelers to put up a lot of points, even despite the Bengals' defense giving up explosive plays. But that that that's just, that's just kind of where they're at right now. And it, it would, I think, it would be shocking if Mason Rudolph ended up having a great game, but this is the year of the backup quarterback, so who the hell knows?
0: I fully expect the, the Pittsburgh Steelers to try and – channel their old jerome bettis days and channel their i mean whether it was tommy maddox under the helm or whoever the hell else it was i fully expect them to try and run the ball about 40 times this week and i think number one because of the success that they had against the Bengals last time they played number two there's a great sample size of the minnesota vikings having great success running the football just last week against this team and oh by the way as we've said about 14 times so far on this show no dj reader your best run stopper on defense so i fully expect and that will limit limit the risk that you potentially have with mason rudolph under center that would set up potential play action plays for the pittsburgh steelers so I, I fully expect the Steelers to, you know, try and run the ball a bunch of times this week and it's going to be very classic Steelers approach. Try and stop it. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to smash you and you got to try and stop it. And if you stop it, good for you. If if not, it's going to be a long, long day. Um, and, and cause that's also playing keep away from the Bengals offense as well, if they're able to sustain drives and stuff. So, I just I expect that to be their approach this week. Um I don't know how effective it will or won't be. I mean I, I they'll, they'll get yards, they'll make plays, I'm sure, but you can only be one dimensional for so long and be have it be that effective for so long. So you know, I kind of waver on how I feel about that, but uh I mean, I, I complicating the matters for the Steelers too John is the fact that Demonte Kazee is out, out suspended for the rest of the year because of that crazy hit that he put on Michael Pittman that was just among others um that was just a gross looking hit and then no Mika this week right so uh the the Steelers are down a a couple of defensive backs so even if they are kind of trying to play keep away control the game with the football when the Bengals do get the ball they may have some opportunities through the air because they are absolutely decimated at, at safety are the Steelers
1: yeah, I I think I mean Joey Porter was matched up against Jamar Chase for the most of the previous game with no Chase out there this week. I, I would imagine you're going to have two really long and lanky players on the premier between Porter and T Higgins, kind of battling it out. That'll be an interesting matchup for T, considering just how topsy turvy his game was last week. But mm-hmm. you know the Vikings went what well, they went out of their way early in the game to just take away both chase and Higgins. And that's why you saw, you know, a good amount of receptions could go other directions, right? Tanner Hudson got involved a lot. I would expect that to kind of remain the case with this one. What is interesting to me though, for the Bengals offense is that they, you know, we've talked about true pass sets and how they've been limited since Brian's took over. That, that wasn't the case against the Vikings because it couldn't, right? When you when you find yourself in a 14, 17-point hole, whatever the case may be, you you kind of throw the play action out of the window and you just got to go in straight drop-back situations. And the Bengals' offense line handled the Minnesota Vikings very well. Like Daniel Hunter, like he made a couple of plays, but he didn't like take over the game. Like a T.J. Watt or an Alex Highsmith theoretically could. So it was really impressive to see the Bengals' offense line handle the situation well to, in order to give Brownie enough time to get back in that game. Um, it I would imagine, you know, if if it's a neutral game script, they're going to do a better job of, of limiting the Steelers' defensive line compared to the, the to how they've done in, in years past. Um, but if it gets into that situation where they do find themselves down, it is a dangerous defensive line to just go into straight dropback situations. Yeah. So just very similar things that we've talked about, like against the Vikings, you know, Steelers, they don't blitz as much as the Vikings, but they can they can be aggressive and you really want to have, you know, leave wad in one-on-one situations and an obvious passing situations as well. So how the, how the offensive line handles that and how they maybe go back to what they were previously doing under Browning, where it's just a lot of play action, a lot of half field reads, a lot of quick passes and stuff like that, that, that should help out for sure.
0: Oftentimes when you use the term, quote, statement game, that doesn't normally mean that there's playoff implications on the line for both the teams facing off, right? It's more of a play for pride type of situation and all of that. I I just foresee this game as a statement game from an emo, emotional and, you know, impose the will kind of standpoint. And we've seen the Steelers do it, far more frequent than the Bengals have been able to do it against the, the Steelers other than vice versa. I, I think that both of these teams, aside from just wanting to win from a, a playoff standpoint, I think there is a a feeling, you know, I don't, I don't want to use the word hatred, but I, I feel that there's going to be a lot of chippiness in this game. And I feel that the Steelers are going to try and do what they've, done to, in the past with questionable hits and or stuff after the whistle to try and go the Bengals into penalties. And they've done that to varying degrees of success and not. I think that's going to be part of what, what happens this week, and we'll see that. And I, I I think the Steelers are at this major crossroads as a, as a team. What are they going to do? A quarterback is pick at the guy. He's not even in there at this point. Is George Pickens going to you know be a long-term solution at wide receivers? Is he going to just kind of mentally implode? All this kind of stuff. Um, And we've seen the Steelers overcome it a lot of times, a a lot of uh, overcome a lot of that stuff before. And this may be the week that they really say, you know, it's the Bengals. We got to, you know, we're going to, we're going to do what we do against the Bengals. Right. And I see the Bengals just saying, man, that people keep counting us out because of injuries and the quarterback play and all of that. And this is a team I think they really want to. I just get the sense the Bengals want to win this game and win it by a sizable amount. <laughs> That's, I don't know what's telling me that. I don't know that players are necessarily saying that, but I think they're going, if they get a lead and they smell blood in the water, do the Bengals against a reeling Steelers team, I think they're going to try and just continue to pounce.
1: I'm not, I'm not going to predict a multi-score win, but I think I am going to predict a win. The Steelers play the Seahawks at Seattle next week and then at Baltimore the week after that. If they lose this game, it's it, it's curtains for the season. It's potentially curtains for just who they are. Honestly, like I don't I don't really know what Mike Tomlin's you know future really holds there. But I mean, Pickett is he's he's two years in. There hasn't been a ton of promise there. Like they fire their offensive coordinator. It's the first mid mid-season coaching change that they've ever made in since World War Two. Like. At a certain point, the Steelers have to just sit back and say, "Has the, as, as the NFL just kind of passed us by?" And this could just be the game that puts the nail in the coffin. And I think there's there's an opportunity there for the Bengals to to do that of of, of all teams, right? The 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 right headed stepchild of the Steelers in the past twenty years, at least before Zach Taylor and Joe Burrow come here. Like th- this is the chance to really just just end it. And I I think. I think they're going to do it, and you know I predicted them to win last week because I thought they had the better quarterback. Nick Mullins played well, but Jake Browning continues to play well on his own, and he again just doing that, pulling off that comeback against that Vikings defense despite everything that the Vikings defense is throwing at him. It it showed me enough to say that you know he can he can do this against quality defenses too. That's what the Steelers still have, so I'm going to say it's going to be 17-13 Bengals.
0: Mm, Ugly one, okay. So I I see a lot of stuff teeing it up to, you know, Hey, you know, all this negative Steelers talk this week and everything going into a Steelers rebound against the, like you said, the team that they just love to take it out, take their frustrations and anger out upon in the Cincinnati Bengals. They're in Pittsburgh, right? I mean, it's all this stuff where you go, Oh boy, this is setting up for, for this, that, and the other thing. Um, I I just, I'm kind of with you though. I, I think, I I think the Bengals would like when I what I said earlier I think the Bengals would like to really take it to them and and beat them by a sizable amount I don't think that that's going to necessarily take place because I don't think that's really where the Steelers are right now but I do think the Bengals uh you know sneak out this one and I'll I'll say kind of similarly ugly I'll say uh 20 to 16 um and and I think the Bengals kind of uh you know sneak out of there and slide out of there with a win you know, almost any other time, I would say, you know, uh, Steelers. I, I just, I, I, trust the Steelers more historically than the Bengals in a lot of different respects. But they're just there. There's a lot going on there. There's a lot going on there, and I respect the way that they have had a winning culture there and all the championships and all that kind of stuff. But I, I, I just see the wheels being a little wobbly right now, which is uncharacteristic for the Steelers for sure. I just, I see it being a little, a little wobbly.
1: Of course, the alternate here is that the Steelers are on the ropes. A lot of the, you know, there's a lot of scrutiny in the media about them. The Bengals are coming off an emotional, you know, last second yeah. win. The Steelers have lost three in a row, by the way, since playing the Bengals. So this would be their fourth straight loss if it does happen. The opposite could easily occur, too, right? It's just, all oh, the Steelers found their way against the Bengals despite Mason Rudolph playing. And, he, you know, he's 3 0 now against the Bengals. So I, we, we've seen it before, right? But I, it's just all. All logic is pointing to the Bengals despite their injuries just because the Steelers are just as banged up and they're just as deficient in the most important areas. So that's typically what matters more than anything.
0: Yeah. Well, that's uh, that's what we've got for this show and the Steelers preview. We're going to drop the mic and get on out of here. What do you have for us, John Sheeran?
1: Nothing more than just uh, happy festivus, whatever holiday that you celebrate. And um, I don't know how long the voting goes for, but I know Ted Karras is still first in the Walter man or Walter Payton man of the year fan voting section of the award. Um, obviously since he had everything he does uh, for adults with disabilities, just it's a remarkable story, just so keep retweeting, keep voting on Twitter. Let's try to get him this dub.
0: Yeah, I, uh, I'm definitely in agreement for that. And I, you know, with, with some folks in my family that, you know, have, and people we're close to that have special needs. Um, you know, that's definitely stuff that I think is uh, it's caused very worth worthwhile. He's been kind to us at Cincy Jungle. He's been kind of all kinds of different uh, shows and fans and all kinds of stuff. He's been one of the, one of the better free agent gets by the Bengals, not only on the field, but off the field, just a, just a great dude. So definitely keep that momentum rolling. Uh, I don't, I don't know how people are going to feel about me sharing this. I guess I'm just going to share this information. Um, because of the week that it is and who the Bengals play there is a new book out. And I, I, the reason I'm promoting this is because I was mailed this book from the author and his publicist, uh, John, John Harris. And it's, you can see the words by, by Tony Dungy football coach. And I, you know, I was just kind of intrigued. We tried to get the author on, uh, unfortunately, like when the two games played, it was like the week leading up to Christmas and the week leading up to Thanksgiving. So we could, just timing wasn't, wasn't good there. But I haven't read it yet, but I'm just I'm kind of curious. And obviously, a a lot of Bengals fans, uh, you know, there's a lot of history between the Pittsburgh Steelers. And we were just talking about how the Steelers and Mike Tomlin have not had a losing season since he has been head coach. Um, So I'm kind of curious to see, you know, there's interviews from players and all kinds of different stuff in here talking about him, his coaching style, etc. Some people may say, oh, why the hell would I care about that? It's, you know, the Steelers coach, that sort of thing. But I mean, hey, we always have a, a eye in the peripheral on the on the Pittsburgh Steelers, what are they, what they're doing, and uh, maybe they live in our heads a little rent free sometimes. We we'll, you know whatever. But interesting book if you are uh, obviously you know kind of interested in in learning more about him, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, cool book out there, Tomlin, the soul of a football coach by John Harris and a forward by the great Tony Dungy as well. So go check that out. Thought I'd give it a, at least a little bit of a plug.
1: I don't, I don't think there's anything that's like any NFL coach who's lasted as long as Tomlin, regardless of what you think about him and his methods. Like there's, there's definitely valuable just anecdotes and, learning experiences that I I think is just applicable for a lot of things. Like one of my favorite books uh, was about like Don Don Coriel, you know, and and his system, his teachings and everything. So like, there's a lot, a lot of value to that. And especially, you know, tribalism is a thing, right? People look at the Steelers and think, I I hate them. I hate everything about Pittsburgh. Even if I've never been to Pittsburgh, phenomenal city, by the way, very beautiful. People can just kind of get off of that to see like the value and just other perspectives. I think it would be, it would do a lot of people a lot of good.
0: Yep. Yep. And with all the history between the two teams, at least uh, diving deep into into more of that. I don't know. I think I I find it interesting, but go check it out if you are so inclined. Thank you, everybody. We had a lot of live viewers across a lot of different platforms. We restreamed a couple other Twitter accounts for the first time in a while, and we had a lot of live people uh, checking us out. Appreciate it. Subscribe to the YouTube channel by clicking the show icon underneath John there. And go subscribe to the Cincy Jungle Audio channel to get all of the different shows that we offer on the podcast channel. Keep it to CincyJungle.com and what John's doing over at A to Z Sports for all your Cincinnati Bengals and AFC North coverage. We appreciate it. Bengals take on the Steelers right before Christmas Eve this Saturday. Going to be a doozy. Hopefully the Bengals come out on the right, the right side of things. And uh, come out on top. Keep that winning streak going. John, take care. Uh, Merry Christmas. Happy
1: holidays, my friend. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays.